Isaiah 55. Got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So, if you have your Bibles, open up Isaiah 55. One of the things we're, we're looking at since chapter 2 of Isaiah, this idea began where how can God take His people that are all screwed up and make them right? Take the broken and make them whole. Uh, how can God take the failure of His people, the failures that, that we have a tendency of being, and, and change us and transform us into who we can be in Him? And He gave us a preliminary answer in Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah saw the Lord, and His train filled the temple, and, and Isaiah said to the Lord, Look, I'm a, I'm a mess. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. I don't deserve to be here in your presence, God. So the Lord sent an angel to take a, a coal from the altar and touched his lips with this coal. And he declared Isaiah cleansed. The exact same thing that happens to Abraham in Genesis uh, chapter 12. The Bible says Abraham believed God and God declared him. It was accounted unto him. God declares him righteous. The same way Paul describes justification today. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. It's God declaring something in us that's not true yet. We are righteous because the blood of Jesus Christ covers us. And we look forward to the glorification that will happen when we see him face to face. We endure the process of sanctification now as God is making us into a people, right? He's changing us from the inside out to become His people. Isaiah 55, that's what it's about. It's an invitation to salvation. Isaiah 53, there's a shift in the book of Isaiah. And once Isaiah 53 happens, the, the focus now is not what we've been doing, what we've been seeing in the, in the judgments of God. It's hard when we, when we read through the prophets, because we lack the hundreds of years between events. In other words, when you read the Old Testament, you don't get to see the hundreds of years of God's grace. You just get to see God judge. And then you get to see God judge again. And you get, and you get this feeling like there's two different gods. But the reality is what you're disassociated from is the grace of God that's been extended for hundreds of years. Uh, for his people until the day when God says, it's payday. There's always a day you got to pay your debt. you got to pay your bill. And that was when God would do what I call a course correction. His people are way out here, and God's like, i got to bring them back. So he course corrects. He, he inserts uh, his judgment against his people into history so that, for a redemptive purpose, so that they get back on track. And then the grace is bestowed out again. Until the next time. And the next time. But here's the question, going through the Old Testament. How do we make these people who keep messing up, people who don't? Well, how do we, how do we overcome this human failure, the human reality that we don't measure up? That we fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Jesus Christ 
prophesied to come and to make atonement. In essence, to provide for the people what Isaiah received with the coal to his lips. Now, before that event happened, before Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, what you see and what people sometimes neglect uh, to consider is you see them respond to God. Both of them. And Abraham, how does Abraham respond to God? Abraham, God says to Abraham, go to a place that I will show you. And Abraham says, okay. Go to the, I'll go to the place where you show me. God promised him a son. 25 years, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting. But the Bible says Abraham believed God. He trusted. He responded to the revealed plan of God in his life. And we see the same thing occurring with Isaiah. Isaiah is responding. Well, he's standing before the Lord, right? He could have done a lot of things, but what did he do? He humbled himself. How so? I'm unclean. Think of the lepers coming before Jesus. How, how did they approach Jesus? They could have come before Jesus a lot of different ways, but the ones who received healing, how do they come to Jesus? Lord, I'm unclean, and if you are willing, what? You can make me clean. That's the point that, that Isaiah has been developing for. So we look at Isaiah 55 tonight. We want to see, you know, the wonder of this covenant that he's, that, that, that mankind is being invited to participate in. It's free. That's the point that, that he's laying out for us here in Isaiah 55. The Lord offers a free relationship that will never end and that has universal application. He's not just talking to Israel. Pretty exciting stuff as we take a look at it. It breaks into to two sections. The first section is going to focus on this promise of the new covenant. It's free nature and its association with David. And the second section is going to, going to picture this. Answer this question. How is it that God can restore a wicked people? How is it that he doesn't judge this wicked people? And he's going to respond to it in three ways. One, our understanding is not the measure of what God can do. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? We know it. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Our understanding is not the measure of what God can do. God, how can you do this? Uh, It was in that first word, right? God, 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 you'd be surprised all the things God can do, right? You'd be surprised what God can do. Second thing he's going to talk about is that God's word is absolutely dependable. So if God said it, it really does settle it, right? If God said it, it really does settle it. You know, and then finally, God's promises bring amazing results. So we want to see this. Now, why this shift in tone in the book of Isaiah? From Isaiah 53. From the picture of what's happened with the suffering servant. And the call then is to God's people to accept the sin offering that the servant has made. Even though... In history, that hasn't happened yet. But Isaiah is telling the people to trust in 
the prophecy of Isaiah 50. Trust in God's deliverance, in God's atonement. If they do this, then they will become servants of God. That's how Israel becomes the servant of the Lord, by accepting by faith her Messiah. This is something that Isaiah has been focused on from the beginning. So let's jump into it. He begins with this idea, seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord. God has this call to seek the Lord. And we struggle sometimes with this because the New Testament, Paul says in, in Romans, no man seeks the Lord. So we want to understand what's going on. What is he telling people to seek? Okay, here's what men do. Men seek direction from the Lord. Men seek answers from the Lord. Men seek a lot of things, but men don't seek Him. It's different. You can say, look, I want God to tell me what to do next. I want God to heal me. I want God to fix this situation. I want, I want, I want. we got a lot of ways that we may seek for answers or solutions to our problems from God. But we don't seek Him. That's why in Hosea, he tells the people, right, in the illustration of Hosea marrying a prostitute and, and then going out after she leaves him and redeeming her and bringing her back to himself, God's illustrating what the people, what the people do to him. We're unfaithful. We, we run away. When, now, what do I mean when I talk about this seeking? Think about all the kings. Whenever the kings wanted to know where to go to battle, what do they do? They call for a prophet or they call for the high priest. And they say, inquire of the Lord. Same exact word. Seek the Lord. What should I do? Seek the Lord. What should I do? Well, here is different. God wants to be sought. He wants to be sought. Not what he can give you. You get the difference? You guys, I know you guys all have acquaintances, people you know, that you, you know the difference between a friend who cares about you and wants to know you and the difference between a friend who wants you for what you can do for them. Which one do you want? And which one do you want to be? And these are the questions when we come to the Scripture. He, he's calling us to seek Him and ultimately... Taste and see that the Lord is good. Eat what is good. Do what brings life. Let's look. So come, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. So in the Greek, this starts with five imperatives. In the English, there's four. Because we structure our sentences different. So there's four imperatives. That means four commands. Come, come, come. Come, God's telling you, hey, what, what should we get out of that? Come, right? This is, this is not brain surgery. You don't even have to go to college to know this. Come, come, come. Who is he calling? Everyone who what? Has anybody in here ever been thirsty? It's not a trick question either. Yeah, so... <clears throat> Everyone who is thirsty, he says, come. Everyone. The call going out, we see the same thing from Lady Wisdom. We see the same thing from Jesus. The call going out, he's calling everyone who is thirsty. Everyone who is thirsty, come. Now, there is some things implicit in that idea. 
But when we look at it in John 7.37, Jesus does the same thing. He stands before the people on the last day of the feast, the great day. He stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, or if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So I'm the answer to the things you're lacking. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now the Old Testament, Isaiah in particular, prophesied that when Messiah came, that the Holy Spirit would flow like river. Jesus standing before the people is saying, Come, all who are thirsty. Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 9, there are three, I think I would argue, four places in the book of Proverbs. The point of the book of Proverbs, we talked about when we went through it, you have this comparison and contrast going on throughout the whole book between the fool and the wise. The fool and the wise. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And then you have the comparison of Lady Wisdom, who is calling people to follow her. Follow me. Follow me. She becomes an incredible picture of Messiah, of Jesus Christ. Now some people struggle. Well, how can it be a picture of Messiah if she's female? Well, I'm sorry. The word Sophia, wisdom, is female. That, that's how it is. We do the same thing when we call our car her, or a boat, or a, you know, that's all leftover parts of language. It's a, it's a feminine word. It has nothing to do with with whether or not Jesus is male or female, that part doesn't make any difference at all. The illustration is, He, Jesus Christ, is all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. He's Lady Wisdom. In, Isaiah, or in, uh, in Proverbs 9, He says, Come! Come! Lady Wisdom is calling. Come to Me. Come, eat of My bread. Drink of My wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Leave your foolishness and live. That don't sound like Jesus? That don't sound like what the Lord's saying in Isaiah 55? Look, you guys are all thirsty. You're going into captivity. You're, you're struggling. You're, you're failing in life. You're frustrated. You are thirsty, so come unto me. Come unto me. Everyone who thirsts. And then I love this phrase. I love the phrase that he lays out for us. He who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Well, that's a weird thing to say, isn't it? He who has no money, come buy. How do you buy something if you don't have any money? What is the point? You don't have the ability. And trust me, you can't afford it. You can't buy something that has no price. That, that whole phrase... Come buy this with no price. Doesn't mean it has no value. It means what is being offered is priceless. You can't buy it. You can't purchase what it is that God is offering here. He who has no money. It's amazing. It's just an amazing concept that we see all the way back here in the book of Isaiah. Buy wine and milk without money, without price. Just consider it. Priceless. Not garbage. It's not like what I sell at my yard sale. This is priceless. Super valuable. You can't afford it. You can't afford it. But he's saying you can have it 
without money. Look at verse 2. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread? So then he moves to a question. He's calling you to come to the free gift, salvation, that God is making available to man. And then he asks you a question. Why do you spend your effort? Why do you spend your money? Why do you put your labor on things that don't satisfy? It's not bread. It's not bread. Well, if you're starving to death and you have a $1,500 computer, what good is it? Can you eat it? Why do you spend your money on what doesn't satisfy? You see, we can't make ourselves acceptable. That's pride. And labor doesn't produce what we want. Pride does not produce what is necessary. We can't buy it of our own. We can't spend our money on that which is not bread. Our labor on what doesn't satisfy. So so how do I buy it? Look at the next phrase. Listen diligently to me. Listen to me. This is not a question of Israelite food or Babylonian food. This is spiritual vitality that springs from obedience to God. From obedience to what God's Word declares. Listen diligently to me. Hear what it is that the Lord is saying. Listen diligently to me. Then what? Eat what is good. Eat what's good. Do what's right. Obey Him. Trust in Him. Follow Him. And delight yourselves in rich food. He's saying this food, this listening and following, this obedience, this walk of obedience with the Lord, this is what satisfies. You can have all the stuff you want. I've I've had a pretty blessed life. I've had a lot of good things. Are there people who have more good things than me? Sure. But I've had my fair share of pretty good things. You know the one thing every one of those things has in common? The satisfaction they brought lasted for a season. And then it was over. Then they broke, got scratched, got run over by a truck, whatever. A variety of things happens to them. But in the end, looking back, none of those things really brought the satisfaction that they promised. What has brought that is following the Lord. Listening to Him. Hearing Him. Eating what is good. Delighting myself in rich food. Look at verse 3. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Incline your ear and come to me. We're back to the imperatives. Come to me, you who are thirsty. Come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me. This is the call that God gives. It's not a New Testament call. It's a consistent call. It's a consistent call throughout history, throughout the Old Testament and the New. Come to me. Incline your ear. (coughs) For what? that your soul might live. Now, the Hebrew had an interesting idea of the soul. The soul is not necessarily how we would think of soul today. The Hebrew concept of the soul is the total wholeness of the person. 
wholeness, not, and I mean that in, in a very sp- spiritual sense, I think, the, that you be whole, complete. It's possible for you to be all together and not whole. That's why oftentimes in the scripture, it's interesting, one of the, the, the word for healed, when God heals them, oftentimes he uses the word for wholeness. God made them whole, complete. It's deeper than just the physical need. I had a shriveled hand. I, I couldn't walk. Uh, I had leprosy. When God makes you whole, it's more than just saying that the physical parts of my body were working. Whatever he did, it, it touched the, the absolute wholeness of the being. That's what the word shalom means. Peace. What's it mean? It means wholeness. Be whole. Be complete. Be total. So God's saying, look, all you guys, incline your ear toward me. Listen to what I'm saying and come. For what purpose? He says, so that your soul may live. So that you can be whole. So that you can be complete. Because we're not complete apart from Him. You don't have a relationship with Christ. You're not the human being God made you to be. You are lacking something. So He says, come. Come for that which you cannot buy. For that which you cannot labor. Come. Incline your ear. Come to me that your soul may live. And I will make you, and how long? How long is everlasting? Does everlasting stop? If everlasting stops, then it's not everlasting. It's not overly complicated, right? So what's the everlasting part of the covenant? The everlast, here's the everlasting part of the covenant. It's important for you to understand. Forever, God says, if you come to me. If you come to me. The declaration that God's making, all you who are thirsty, come. All you who are laboring or heavy laden, come to me. If you humble yourself, which is the act of coming to God, it's saying, I can't do this on my own. That's why God opposes the proud and gives grace to who? The humble. The humble comes before the Lord. The humble says, I'm a man of unclean lips. The humble is the one who, as a leper, stands before the Lord and says, if you're willing, make me clean. The everlasting covenant is if you come, He will make you whole. He's making a promise. How can He make that promise? Through the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Atonement's been made. The atonement is made. So now God in His sovereignty can make a proclamation. I will give you grace if you come to me. I remember one time sitting down with my son, whom I had caught, red-handed. He doesn't know it. He, you know, your kids, some of you who have little kids, one day they're going to think you're an idiot. And so I, I sat down with my son in my office at church, and I said to him, Cole, I know what you did. Somebody saw you, they told me, I know everything that took place. I'm telling you that out front. I know everything. I want you to confess it to me. 
and it'll go easy. And, and now he's got a choice, right? What's he thinking? Does he know? Doesn't he know? I don't want to confess something he doesn't know. But if he does know, my goose is... So he sat in my office and he looked at me and he lied. And I really did know it all. So very calmly I told him it all. Told him what I knew. Told him exactly what had happened. And he just hangs his head. And the discipline comes down as a result. That's the same thing God's asking of the sinner. Come. I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know what you think. I know what you do. Come to me. Confess it. And I'll forgive it. And there are still people in their pride who won't do it. Who will stand there and think, well, maybe he doesn't know this, or maybe he doesn't know that. You know, much easier than trying to keep up the fake persona that I got it all put together. It's way easier for me just to accept who I am. I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. If you follow me on my motorcycle, you will watch me sin somewhere between here and home. Not because I'm proud of it, just because I'm a sinner. And God's working on all those things, and maybe ten years from now, if you follow me, it won't be like that. Right? But I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend and say that I've got all those things worked out. No. Life is a struggle for everybody. If you got somebody in your world telling you, no, life is a, just a piece of cake, then stop. Go away from them. You don't need that level of fake in your life. You just don't. No, life is hard. Hard things happen. Our children are going to choose wrong things. There's going to be real pain and sorrow and anguish. And I might as well just admit that I can't do it myself. So Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. There's nobody heavy laden. Nobody struggling. What is it that God says? Come to me. Come to me. I can't do this, Lord. And he says, and I will give you rest. You put my yoke on. Means I yoke myself to Christ. I yoke myself to him. This is the call that God is laying out. This is the, the request he's saying, come delight yourself in rich, few, rich food. And I'll make an everlasting covenant. I make you this promise forever. Just like the promise I made to David whom I love. I promised David. I would make an eternal king from his line. That's the Davidic promise. God says to David, I will make an eternal king. Now the Davidic kings were sometimes good, sometimes bad. And there's no Davidic king now on earth. But Jesus Christ was called who? The son of David. 
because he's of the Davidic line. Of actually both sides, the cursed side and the side that's not cursed. All of it passes through Jesus Christ. He has become the fulfillment of the promise that God made to David because he loved him. And God said, just like that promise I made David, I'm telling you, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. If you come to me, I'll make you whole. That thing that is missing in our life, that's call that God has, we are to come to Him. Come to Him and we will experience, I just love the phrase, especially the way the ESV puts it in Isaiah 55.3, the sure love for David. The sure love, that's the, the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed is almost indefinable. But the closest thing that the Bible comes to it is steadfast, faithful love. It's, it's, it's even a little deeper than that. It's, it's, the, it's the Hebrew equivalent and greater than the Greek word agapeo. Agape love. You've probably heard of that. Chesed. He's, God says, my love for David, my chesed, my faithful, steadfast love for him is eternal. And I make an eternal promise to you. If you come, I will incline. We incline our ear. He inclines himself toward us. Look at verse 4 and 5. Behold, I made him, talking of David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples. A leader and a commander for the peoples. He says, I made him a witness. He's an example. The man after God's own heart, right? He's a witness. Plus, he becomes a picture of Messiah, the deliverer. And so David fulfills this. He's a witness to the people, a leader to the people, a commander to the people. Then in verse 5, he says, Behold, you shall call a nation, you, singular, you, singular. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Davidic Messiah. He says, I made David a witness, just like I'm going to make the Messiah a witness, a leader, a commander. What will he do? He, singular, this is not about the nation. This is not about Israel. This is, these are all singular pronouns. It's not they, them, there. This is you, specific. He says, you, Messiah, shall call a nation you do not know. A nation that you did not know, or that did not know you shall run to you. Why? Because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. He says, you, just like David is a picture, Jesus, the Messiah, is going to draw all peoples unto Himself. How did He say it? If I am lifted up, I will, what? Draw all men unto myself. If I am lifted up, I will draw all men. Jesus did not come to the Gentiles. He was not born in the Gentile nations. He never traveled outside of Israel. Who did he come to? He came to the Jew. He came to his own, and his own received him not. So he comes there. He comes to to Israel. He enters in. He 
fulfills the promises that God made of Messiah in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, all throughout Scripture. We have all these prophecies uh, that Jesus Christ would fulfill. He then pays the price, dies, is buried, rises again. And then you, in the picture that you have in Daniel, you have the Son of Man coming before the Ancient of Days. You have the Son returning to the Father, the Ascension. And in Psalm 110, you have God saying to His Son, Sit. That means your work's done, right? Sit down until I make your enemies your footstool. That means it's all going to submit. What is it saying in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse, verse 9 and on? That how many knees will bow? How many tongues will confess? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Right? So we have this work, this accomplishment coming. This witness that David was is being passed to the Davidic Messiah. God's going to glorify Himself through that servant of Isaiah 53. And as a result, Israel also will be glorified. Israel gets glorified. Yeah, because why? Because salvation is of the Jews. That's where it came from. Look, Jesus is born a Jew. He's born of Israel. So through the Holy One of Israel, Israel will receive glory. Why? Because salvation came through, via the nation of Israel. Salvation came in this way. So these people, the nations will run to you because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel has glorified you. So then we move in, <clears throat> beginning in verse 6, now we, we move not from the, the call to eat what is good, to turn to the Lord, but to understand that the Word, God's Word, will not return void. And I want you to realize that that needs to be understood in both the physical and the spiritual sense. There was a Word of God. And there is the Word of God. And neither one returned void. Neither one returned without accomplishing what they were sent to do. Look at verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Ezekiel, oftentimes, in fact, Ezekiel 20, if you want to go there when you have time, there's an example of it in Ezekiel 20, 1 through 4. But the idea is God being frustrated with the people who sought Him for information, who sought Him for gifts, who sought Him for healing, who sought Him for all these other things, but never sought Him. So God would say, stop asking me. You don't want to be with me. You don't want to come to me. Ezekiel would talk about that all the time. Here he's saying, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Him. Seek him for him. Know the Lord. That's what he wants. Know me. That's what you want. To be known. God says, know me, come, know me. Well, how do I seek you, Lord? How do I do that? Verse 7, I think, tells us. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Who's wicked? Everybody. Who's unrighteous? 
Everybody. So he's saying, everyone who thirsts, how do I seek him? Forsake your way. He, in a minute he's going to say your way is different than his, right? Forsake your way. There is a way that seems right to a man. But the end therein is death. Man does not know the way. The fall of man in Genesis chapter 1, the fall of man is man declaring independence from God. I don't need you, God. I can figure this out myself. We've done a bang-up job. We still have no idea what we're doing. We still have no answers. Let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly promise. Here's the everlasting covenant. You repent and return. And God says, I will have compassion and forgive. You repent and return. I will have compassion and forgive. Repent of my ways. Repent of my thoughts. Why is that important? Because the word of God's going to go on, isn't it? In verse 8, Isaiah 55, verse 8, For my thoughts are not... You don't think like God thinks. I guarantee if you were sitting with Joshua and Joshua said, Hey, here's the battle plan for Jericho. We're all going to walk around the city for seven days. And do what? That wouldn't have been your plan. No. If you were Gideon and you had 30,000 men and God said, Send them all home. Keep like 300. You'd say, no, that's not my thoughts. That's God's point. Repent of your thoughts. Seek His. Our challenge is to think God's thoughts after Him. That's walking in the Spirit. What do you want me to do, God? And it may not line up with what the wisest people in the room think you should do. Do you know how many times that's true in the Bible? Hey, there's a big guy out there. It's a super big guy and everybody in the army is afraid of him. But you know what you should do? Find a 16-year-old boy, give him a sling and send him out. Oh yeah, that's a great plan. No. Why? Because God says, my ways are not my thoughts are not repent of your thoughts and your ways. Seek his. Seek his. God's saying, they're, mine are different than yours. Mine are different than yours. The Lord declares it. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. Is heaven higher than the earth? So my ways are higher. My thoughts are higher. We don't think the same. We don't do the same thing. Submit yourself to the mighty hand of God and let him do what he does but you got to know it to do it yes I can't submit to someone I don't know I won't submit to someone I don't know that's why God says come to me know me meet me read the scriptures to know God Study the life of Christ to know God. 
He, ha- he says in verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall the word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The absolute dependability of God's Word. But it's more than just when we consider the Word of God, the promises of God's Word. You don't think John had this in mind when he said, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He goes on in verse 7 to say, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through Him. John the Baptist, he's not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Light comes first. Light. Jesus came bringing light. Verse 17, it says, For law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. Did you catch that? There's another reason why I love the ESV. I love talking to King James only guys. Because they like to tell me how the ESV makes Jesus less than God. And then we go to scripture like this and I say, Really? Read the King James. Doesn't say the same thing. Here it says, The only God who is at the Father's side. Who's that? To all guarantee it's Jesus who is in the bosom of the Father. Jesus Christ, the only God who is at the Father's side. He made Him known. Jesus reveals who God is. Verse 29 of John 1, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and when Jesus finished the word returned to the Father who sent it, having accomplished all he purposed him to do. The word of God on our lap, the word of God in flesh. Both. Don't return void. He doesn't not, he, he, he will not leave something uncompleted. If he has begun a good work in you, he will see it too. Right? Isn't that his promise? Isaiah 55, 12, we'll wrap it up, says, For you shall go out in joy, be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills before you will break forth into singing. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn comes the cypress. Instead of the briar comes the myrtle. It shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. What's he describing? The celebration that occurs over repentance and returning to the Lord. How does he describe it? He says, all of creation celebrates. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, all of creation groans and is waiting desperately for the day to celebrate. 
to celebrate. Here in Isaiah 55, he describes that celebration. He says, the hills will sing, the trees will clap their hands, the curse will be over. And, listen to the last part, and it shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that will not be cut off. What's the name for the Lord? What's the everlasting sign? Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Kyrios. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Glorifies the Father when we celebrate Jesus as God. Curios. Lord. It glorifies the Father when we acknowledge the Son. And it's a name, a sign that will last the name of the Lord. What is Yehoshua? What is what is Jesus' name mean? Yahweh saves. Yahweh is salvation. Yehoshua. The name. He's saying, come. All who are thirsty, come. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. But you can come in humility and receive it for free. What can I receive for free? What God ordained in Isaiah 53. What the suffering servant bought. The everlasting covenant of the Lord, which is, come to me, and I will save. Amen? Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We can study your word for an opportunity to delve in to Isaiah 55. We look forward, Lord, as we continue looking at the incredible promises out of the book of Isaiah. Lord, we pray that you would continue to open our eyes and challenge the way we think and challenge uh, the things we do. God, we want to be a people obedient to you, submitted to you, humble before you, because it is whatever we do, it is because of you, because of what you have wrought in my life, that I am able to do anything that pleases you. So God, I just pray that we recognize, stand before you in a true humility, not a false humility, but acknowledging God that if we come, you say, I will have compassion and I will abundantly pardon. Not because I earned it, because God promised it. Come unto me. God, may we hear the call, the imperative in Isaiah 55. And may we indeed come before the Lord our God, our Maker. Lord, we give you praise. We ask your blessing tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.
trust in you, Lord, that our edges become blurred. I want to be the, the voice of Jesus, and I speak, but you are heard. And this is my desire to see your kingdom 